I will not wait for a parking spot and hate other people who wait because they make me wait behind them waiting. This is The Greg Cody Show with Greg Cody. Pardon it. Here's your host, the oldest man to ever start a podcast, Greg Cody. Well, everybody, welcome back to The Greg Cody Show with Greg Cody. This is episode 12, The Magic Dozen, and, um, and, and we're back to our roots here. We, we had an unusual episode last week. Uh, it was an hour-long tribute to, to the great Don Shula, who had passed away, and it was we had some laughs, but it was somber as well. And this week's episode will only be 45 minutes on Don Shula. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're, we're going to gradually reduce it to the, to the point where five episodes from now, it'll be 20 minutes on Shula. No, we're done with, uh, we're done with the great Don Shula for now, and we're going to move on. We told you at the very beginning we wanted this to be a variety show where you didn't know whether it was going to be sports or non-sports, local or national, fun or serious. And, and this week, we sort of get back to that unpredictability a little bit. Uh, we welcome in a special guest, uh, David Sampson, the longtime former Miami Marlins president who uh, talks about the Marlins and about baseball and stuff like that. And, and that was very interesting and a fun interview that you'll want to hear. He talks about Levitard as well. And my wife is on the podcast, believe it or not, reluctantly, probably against uh, her. No? No, this is very exciting. This is one of the more <laughs> exciting guests that we've had so far. The person that knows Greg Cody better than anyone. I am excited to hear from her and to hear about all the strange things that you do and are. <laughs> well, uh, I'm, ner- I'm nervous about that because you're right. She does know me better than anybody else walking the earth. and uh, Too well, you, I think you'd argue. Uh, I would argue that. Um, I'm a little uh, anxiety-ridden with uh, what she might reveal about me, but we'll figure that out. Um, <clears throat> I want to talk a little bit about what's happening in sports because like a giant who's been in hibernation, sports is gradually opening its eyes and we're seeing sports gradually resuming or having a plan to. I like to imagine all these sports, like there's a swimming pool and every sport is standing on the edge of the pool and everyone, we're kind of seeing like <laughs> how these sports, we're kind of getting a feel for how these sports are based off how they're getting back into the pool. UFC is doing like a big cannonball, just like jumping right in. You know, NBA is kind of like dipping their toe in, like getting a feel for how cold the water is. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that. And, and to continue your metaphor, uh, once all the sports are back in the pool again, uh, there will be social distancing in the pool. Uh, while, while everybody's splashing around, uh, they won't be doing it near each other. I think, um, I think the new normal is going to continue through the summer into the fall and into football season. Did you see what Joe Buck from Fox Sports said about his network's plans for NFL? Yeah, they're going to be piping in fake crowd noise. And have fake images of fans in the stands, which is just preposterous to me. You know what? You're fooling people? Like people are going to all of a sudden think that life is normal and and there's a full stadium? It just seems a little bit ridiculous. Um, I hope that somewhere in the production room, somebody hits the wrong button. And instead of a, a cheering football crowd, we hear like a, a 1960s sitcom laugh track, all of a sudden uh, appearing in the middle of a football game. But there is an in between, I think, down the road. The, the Miami Dolphins down here, 
they've put together a contingency plan for a hugely reduced capacity uh, where they would allow uh, approximately 15,000 fans in a 65,000 seat stadium with social distancing. So, you know, there is an in-between, um, somewhere in between no fans at all and back to normal. And, and that's sort of what we're dipping our toe in the water about as well. Uh, baseball just put out a 67-page document of procedures for its return. You know, uh, baseball plans to reopen spring training in June and, and restart their season on or around July 4th. It's interesting what's in that 67-page document. You know, there's going to be no team mascots anymore. Uh, they're encouraging players to shower at home after the game, to arrive at, at the ballpark in uniforms to, to limit congregating in clubhouses. Oh, so like me in high school. Yeah, <clears throat> exactly. That's exactly what it's going to be. Uh, no restaurants on road trips, no bat boys, no handshakes, lineup exchanges, uh, social distancing completely. Uh, music is going to be allowed in empty stadiums to sort of fake an ambiance. Uh, lockers are going to be six feet apart in the clubhouses. Everything is going to be different. Uh, the manager in the dugout is going to be wearing a mask. You know, it's not going to seem or feel like actual baseball to me. It's going to be just some whole different enterprise that we're looking at. It's, um, it's going to be interesting to watch, that's for sure. Now, I think I have a different take on this whole baseball thing. As a Marlins fan, I'm good with baseball not starting until as late as possible. Let's have the shortest season possible. Right now, we're almost to June, and the Marlins are tied for first place. They're undefeated. <laughs> so if the season had started already, the Marlins would probably be out of it. So as a, And I feel like teams, like the lower half of the league, I feel like fans probably feel this way. Like, let's push this back as late as possible. Give me a, sh- a few amount of games as possible. Let's make the playoffs, Marlins. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and they may expand the playoffs as well. Um, Let's do it. Yeah, that's, uh, there is something to be said there. Um, it'll be interesting to see what they do with the schedule. Uh, if it's a East versus East schedule, uh, that's going to be really good for if you're a Marlins fan because, you know, you get to see a lot of the Red Sox, a lot of the Yankees. You know, it's going to be uh, pretty interesting. But I agree with you. The shorter the season uh, – the more the downtrodden teams have a chance, you know, just to, just to be lucky. You know, if it's a, if it's a 40 game season, you know, if you get lucky and, and win six in a row, you know, you get, you got a great shot all of a sudden. Man, did you purposely put the baseball and the Marlins towards the end of this little spiel here? So it transitions right into David Sampson. <laughs> wow. I wish I were that smart. Maybe it was uh, subliminal. But uh, that's but, a pro move by you right there. Yeah, well, you know, I'm so smooth at this. You know, I'm a 12 pods runner. in. Look at you. 12 pods in. Imagine that. The dirty dozen. Uh, yeah, let's uh, let's get now to uh, to David Sampson, who um, is probably disliked by most Marlins fans. And I talked to him about that a little bit. Uh, but uh, he's got a lot of interesting stuff to say about baseball, because whether you like David Sampson or not, you have to respect his knowledge and his intel when it comes to running a baseball team and, and a franchise and you know if, if this these things would all be in his lap if this were three years earlier he would be the one deciding um you know how baseball comes back and and how to deal with players who uh who are coming out saying uh, i'm not going to take a pay cut you know so a very interesting conversation with david sampson and here he is
We welcome to the Greg Cody Show podcast, David Sampson, the uh, Florida turned Miami Marlins president from 2002 until Derek Jeter took over in 2017. And presently, David, you host the Nothing Personal podcast on CBS Sports. How are you and the family doing during these weird pandemic times? Thanks, Greg. Everyone is uh, good to see you. Everyone is doing okay. It's uh, people are trying to figure out what it means to have a new normal or how their routines have been adjusted. So it's, it's been interesting. Yeah, it's um, personally and sports. Everybody's trying to figure this out an inch forward. When the new ownership took over the Marlins, I'm, I'm sure you expected to be let go because that's just the way sports works with new owners. But infamously, you were fired by text message from Jeter. That had to have, was that hurt or anger that you felt or both? So actually the text did not come from Derek. The text came from a media member who texted that I had been let go by the Marlins. So I then saw the text, I took a screenshot, and then I called Derek. And I said, so I just got this text. And he then told me that yes, in fact, I was being let go. So obviously he had told someone else before me and that was, I guess, part of their plan, whatever the case is. I didn't feel anger. I knew when I was negotiating the sale of the team, that whoever prevailed would likely move on without me. They all promised they would keep me because they thought that would curry favor in choosing their bid. But of course, it had nothing to do with that. It was just business. I didn't let it be personal in any instance. And for me, watching Derek since he's taken over, I understand why he didn't want me around because he's done everything the opposite of what I did. And anything that any initiative I had, whether it was in the community or whether it was on the field or off the field, he reversed, changed, got rid of and ripped up. And he wants to forge his own path. Wait to see, Greg. I hope it works for him. But uh, obviously, so far, it's not. But he still has got a couple of years to make it work. Give us a couple of examples of what you mean by he's done everything the opposite of you in terms of initiatives. I'm not sure what you mean. Well, we can start with our community program. We had a community program called the IUDON, where we actually would close the office two times a year and do days of service while paying our employees. We had teams. We set up every front office person into teams and had competitions for who could do the most in the community. Uh, and that program got, ab- got eliminated. He got rid of the home run sculpture. He changed the uniforms. He changed the design within the stadium, within the clubhouse. He got rid of different fan areas and tried to create new fan areas. He got rid of the Clevelander. I'm just assuming he'll get rid of the fish tanks as soon as possible. I know he got rid of the fish tank that was in my office. He actually uses my old office that I designed, and he has the benefit of that. I'm happy for him. Greg, I never viewed my term as anything other than temporary. I think when you run a sports team, and I was lucky enough to be run a team for 18 years, 16 in Florida, you know that you're running the second lap of a four by 100 relay. And I always recognized I had the baton that I took from John Henry and Dave Dombrowski, and I've handed the baton to Derek Jeter, and he'll hand the baton one day to someone else. But the important thing is that the Marlins are here in Miami, and I hope they stay. The present day Marlins, of course, announced that they're going to furlough around 100 baseball operations people, uh, roughly close to half of the total, starting June 1st because of the shutdown and the loss of revenue. Is that a reasonable course of action? Is that one that you would have taken had this pandemic happened a few years earlier? Yeah, it is reasonable. And I would have tried everything before furloughing. Now, I will give the Marlins credit. They are still paying the health benefits to these employees who are being furloughed. They also are not alone. Other teams are doing it. But the reality is, what do you need a single A strength coach for right now? Or a scout in the Western part of the United States when there are absolutely zero games going on. So it's not fun 
but I get it. But the math is such that I believe that if you could just trade Corey Dickerson, as an example, you'd have an opportunity to not furlough all these employees, but lower your payroll because all these employees probably add up to one year of Corey Dickerson, but that would create a whole nother PR issue if you go into a truncated season and start trading your players. You obviously know and, and have talked about on your podcast what the Tampa Bay Rays ace Blake Snell said defiantly that, that he would sit out the season rather than accept a pay cut to return for a shortened schedule. The optics on that are awful, but you know, Bryce Harper and others have, have defended him. What do you say about that? That could have been one of your players a few years ago taking that stand. So it's funny you say that, Greg, because it wouldn't have been one of my players because I would have been communicating with my players in a way that was not very popular with either the owner or the GMs who I worked with over the years. The problem with what Blake did, Greg, for me is I thought that it was out of context. He didn't have bad points, but he communicated it in a way that actually took away from what his thesis was and what it should have been because he came off so unpolished. And it's not that he came off real because the opposite of polishes and is not unpolished or real versus fake. He just came off as a fool to me where I'd like to have a debate, not hearing Bryce Harper say, I stand up for my brother. I love him. Good for him. Someone had to say it. Come on, Bryce. You have a $330 million contract. Blake Snell, you have a $50 million contract. Let's have a conversation about players who don't have long-term deals, who are heading into arbitration. Let's talk about the health and safety measures that you will help us with as, as a league so that nobody will get sick, or if we do, we know how to deal with it. That's what I would like to have heard from Blake Snell. This um, baseball resumption plan of Rob Manfred's I guess, resume spring training in June, maybe, you know, symbolically re start the season around the 4th of July, which would be great if it works. How are they going to get this off the ground? Do you, do you see a half a baseball season beginning in early July? Is it going to work? I wrote this article about how I would restart baseball that came out this week sometime or last week. I can't even remember. I literally don't know what day it is. So my plan I, starts baseball in August with an 81-game season. I don't think there's enough time to start July 4th. That's more aspirational. And Rob Manford saying, hey, we need tests because we're going to be testing multiple times per week, and we need the political cover to use these tests and have it not be perceived that we're taking away from others' ability to be tested. David, before I let you go, uh, we have to find a way to, to make fun of Levitard in some manner because um, I, I need to shamelessly um, – promote your appearance on the show to uh, appeal to the Levitard crowd. <laughs> How Do you, you and Levitard socialize at all? I know you're friends. You've known each other a long time, as, as we have. The relationship with Levitard is a pretty complicated one because, as with you, I met him in 2002, and he was really enemy number one of the Marlins. Players did not want to be interviewed by him. They didn't want to really talk to him. They felt as though that they were being taken advantage of by him. Uh, our owner, Jeffrey, was not a fan, is not a fan of Lebetard. He always believed that Lebetard forced me into all of the, when we did our weekly show back in the day, just take the one that I think of the most, like Ichiro, and that got worldwide attention for what I said on Dan's show about Ichiro's contract back with Seattle back in the day. Our owner and our PR people and everybody, all the advisors to our owner and all the advisors to our PR people, everyone in the baseball operations department, they all thought that Dan was in control and made me say what I said. 
And Dan and I always had great laughs over it because I never once created a headline that I didn't mean to create. I never once said anything on the show that I didn't want to say. I was using Dan the whole time because I wanted to get my point of view out into the universe. And Dan was using me the whole time. And we had this mutual sort of user-based relationship. And off the field, we're not that. We are genuinely friends off the field, recognizing that we have a role to play and it involves content creation and entertainment. And people, there's an expression, Greg, that you may know and you may have coined, people who don't get the show. Right. That's a real thing. And it's not, it doesn't mean just that they don't get the Lebitard show. It means they don't get the show with a capital S. They don't understand that people play roles at different times. I can relate to that uh, in, in my own uh, role on the show for that matter. Um, the lack of feedback, uh, we, we see it watching late night TV now where the host is sitting in front of his bookcase and talking and making a joke and there's no, no laughter, no laugh track, nothing. Um, and I wonder that's going to be what baseball is facing and other sports resuming without fans. The, the atmosphere, is that even sports when you're playing games with no cheering? You know, that, that's, that's I a big that. thought. That's a big thought, Greg, and I'm going to talk about it on today's show, and I'll talk about it with you if you have another minute, that Joe Buck came out and said that he thinks that for Fox, they're going to put ambient noise into the stands for the NFL if there's no fans, and it got me thinking, you know, we watched that one game a couple years ago during the riots in Baltimore when the Orioles and the White Sox played in front of no fans at Camden Yards, and it was bizarre for the players. We talked about it in the clubhouse. Players use booing, they use cheering, and all these players, like on the Astros who tell you they don't hear the heckling, they hear every word that everyone says. They ignore it, they pretend to not hear it, but believe you me, after a game, they'll come in and they'll be talking about the guy in the behind the third base bag who was saying a couple things. They know where every woman was sitting, every loud man, they see it all. So I think it's going to be quite an adjustment to the athletes, and we haven't really considered that yet. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a fair point. Uh, David, again, I really thank you, honestly, and uh, stay well. Thank you, Greg. Appreciate it. Speak okay. soon. Thanks again, David Sampson. That was uh, that was fun stuff, uh, interesting stuff, actually, and um, enjoyed hearing him talk about Levitard uh, toward the end there. That reminds me, uh, we also had a, a serious conversation with Levitard last week in our Shula Memorial uh, podcast. Memorial. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, Dan, during that interview conversation, uh, made a made a really disgusting, weird noise at one point, and in the middle of a, a, a somber conversation about Don Shula, we didn't want to make fun of him at that time, but a week has passed. And so now we feel free to not only make fun of Dan for that odd sound he made, but to celebrate it with a, with a montage. So let's do, <laughs> let's do that right now. It's one of the reasons he always defended, excuse me, his son, Mike Shula, always defended, excuse me, Excuse me, his son, Mike Shula. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, his son, Mike Shula. Always defended, always defended, always defended, always defended. Excuse me, excuse me, his son, Mike Shula. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. 
excuse me, always defended, excuse me, excuse me, his son, Mike Shula. Ah, that, that, that was, I enjoyed that. I, I personally enjoyed that because uh, when I'm on his show, uh, Levitard show with Stu Gatz on ESPN radio, he uh, makes enough fun of me, gets me on enough hard network outs. So the least I can do is uh, get back at him a little bit. As polished as Dan is as a broadcaster, he is good for once a week, maybe once every couple of weeks, just a disgusting noise emerging <laughs> from his mouth. <laughs> exactly. And, and we're so pleased to uh, have captured that uh, historic moment on tape. Uh, and speaking of making fun, right now my wife is uh, coming onto the podcast to uh, say something about me that I'm sure is going to be making fun of me. Um, we ask you once in a while, who would you like to see on the podcast? And uh, a number of you have suggested uh, my wife. She keeps a low profile. You know, she's not out front a lot. But right now, Christopher and my wife, I think, are going to um, have a conversation that uh, that will embarrass me in some manner. Oh, you're not getting out of this, though. You're part of this conversation. It's not just me and her. You're going to be right there sitting, oh, just, just marinating in your shame. Okay, well, hopefully I, I won't be softly weeping in the background. I'll join in and, uh, and rebut certain uh, lies and uh, miscalculations if needed. So um, let's bring her in now, my wife of 175 years. This is very exciting for me. I don't think I've been more excited about anything we've done on this podcast because I know my dad so well, and I know there's only a few people on earth that know him just as well as I do. And we're talking to one of them now. We're talking to his wife. I call her mom. How are you today, mother? Uh, I'm doing okay. Stuck here uh, inside with your dad. Now, did you want to do this or did he have to uh, twist your arm to do this? He kind of had to twist in my arm, as did you, because I'm not sure the world really wants to know these things. Mm-hmm. It's kind of one of those things, like once we peel the onion and we show the different layers to Greg Cody, I don't know if people are going to like him as much. I think they are, though. Greg, are you nervous about this? <laughs> well, I'm nervous about what I might hear, but uh, so far, so good, I guess. So basically, and my mom says she's very hesitant to do this, yet she, yesterday she sent me like a seven-paragraph text with all the things that she could possibly <laughs> talk about. And I went through it, and she's got a lot of good stuff about how cheap he is, about how uh, oblivious he is to the how much things cost in 2020, how his rules, like he has rules, but then he doesn't apply those rules to himself. He dismisses celebrities. I could go on and on, and we're probably not going to get to all of these topics in this installment. Please, God. Now, the thing I feel like we should go down the path of, because I feel like we could spend the whole time here, is just the going to dinner process and the experience of going to dinner with one Greg Cody. First, I feel like we should just do this in order. You start off in the parking lot and then parking. Mom, when I say to you at parking at a restaurant or just parking in general, what, how would you describe Greg Cody? Ridiculous. I mean, we have to drive around to find that close spot over and over and over again. And we pass up on a spot that's maybe 20 feet away from a closer spot because he has to have the best spot. And it's ridiculous if it's too crowded. He starts ranting about that there's no place. This place is too crowded. <laughs> and he is a person, if it's raining, he, he doesn't, he, oh. need, he doesn't want to get his hair wet. But he also doesn't want a valet, which would keep his hair from getting wet if it was ra- like explain the whole valet and okay, rain thing. No, there's, it's almost we have to th- plan ahead about whether the restaurant is a valet restaurant. If it's a valet restaurant, he never wants to do it, period. But he definitely doesn't want to valet his 
his precious Corvette. So my car is allowed to be valeted if necessary, but we have to therefore plan ahead to bring my car. And then if it's raining, forget about it. That's not just for restaurants, that's like anywhere. He's more than happy to allow me to run to the car without the umbrella so that he can use the umbrella. Whoa, or to whoa, let whoa. Me out so that the, and then he can use the umbrella by parking, by pretending like he was a gentleman, by letting me out when really I got let out in rain. Well, first of all, I always offer the umbrella to you. <laughs> and you always say something like, no, you, you want it more than I do. Which right? you do. Well, that's true. Plus you, plus you use an umbrella. You use an umbrella when it's like barely drizzling. I do. <laughs> I, I, I'll use an umbrella if, if it's raining one drop. I don't want that drop on me. Get away from why, me, drop. What's with you and your hair? Like, why can't your hair get wet? My hair gets wet when I take a shower. That's it. <laughs> Occasionally when I go in the pool. Now, now, explain yourself on the parking and just like, you know, like why, can't, like, what's, why are you so weird with parking? I don't think I'm that weird in terms of how close I need to be. My weirdness when it comes to parking, and, and it's not weird at all, is that I will not wait for a parking spot and hate other people who wait because they make me wait behind them waiting. You know what I mean? You, you see that a lot where somebody's going to sit in their car for 12 minutes waiting for somebody else to take their time backing out of a spot. In meantime, I'm behind the person who's waiting and steam is coming out of my ears. What about the 10 minutes we drive around in the parking lot waiting for you to find an acceptable spot? <laughs> well, you know, we're in, we're in air-conditioned comfort at that time. <laughs> See, this is just, we haven't even made our way into the restaurant yet and we're already having fun. All right, so now we get into the restaurant and now it's time to put our name in and see how long the wait is. Mom, I want you to just explain this experience to the folks. Oh boy. Well, you have to tread lightly. If you don't have, even if you have a, re a reservation, the reservation better be within a 30 seconds of the time. And if we tend to get there early, then he's mad even before the reservation time has come that we aren't seated already. And then if we don't have a reservation kind of place and you have to put your name down, you have to sort of lie to him about how long they say because <laughs> his steam will be coming out of his ears within five minutes of before they said it would be ready. And he's always like, what's taking so long? What's taking so long? Expecting me to have the information of what's happening exactly in the kitchen and the dining room at all times. You all are painting me out to be <laughs> some weird person. I think everybody listening to this agrees that it's just bizarre to have to wait 25 minutes to sit down at a restaurant. Then don't go there. But dad, <laughs> but some people have live their life in the way of, hey, I'm out for a nice dinner. I'm going to go to the bar. I'll have a drink. I don't care. Like It could take 20 minutes. It could take 30 minutes. I, I don't really have, it's not like, you know, I mean, obviously I understand it if you have somewhere you got to be after, but if you're just having a nice out, a night out for dinner, like why do you need to rush? I will acknowledge that uh, patience is not my strong suit. I'll say that. Oh, wow. Thank you for that. That's a big one. Mom, do you have anything to add on just the way, because we're about to, we're about to take our seat and that's a whole nother, that's a whole can of worms in <laughs> oh, itself. Geez. Okay. So, you know, I think we're done with the waiting. So now we're going to move on. So now our name has been called Cody party of four. And now we're being, and I hate seated. it by the way, when they yell my name out like that, Oh, it's an invasion big, of privacy. Big celebrity here. Big celebrity. Greg no, Cody. no, but I, it, I just don't, you know, there's somebody in the restaurant who knows me or watches the show or, and, and I prefer my name not to be announced over a megaphone. By the way, we never use the last name. 
And the best part is when you, if he puts a name in and it's Greg, he spells it for everyone because he's afraid on the list it'll be spelled with two G's on the end. When it that is, that is That's Greg. Exactly right. G- it, like when someone says, what is your name to write down? It's not Greg. It's Greg, G-R-E-G. Yes. <laughs> like it matters. I always say like it matters that that yeah. hostess put it down with two G's. <laughs> Greg. If she did, I would correct her politely. All right, so as you can see, folks, this is uh, quite the experience going to dinner with Greg Cody. So now we're making our way to the table, okay? Now, you would think to yourself, this can't be a stressful part of the evening. Erlene, my mother, tell us why this is a stressful part of the evening. Well, because we know that there's a spot that he wants to sit, and it may vary from place to place and time to time. So we all kind of all do a little uh, dance around the campfire, uh, which is the table, trying to figure out where it is he wants to sit. Because if he doesn't get to seat once, he will literally be miserable for the first 10 to 20 minutes and maybe hold it against us the entire meal. Now, this is honestly one of the things that I find the strangest about him. And it's, it's so strange that my brother and I, one of, like, part of this routine is we try to go sit in the seat that we know that he wants. And the seat that he always prefers is with, he doesn't like his back to the door of the restaurant. He likes to be, if there's a wall near our table, he likes to be up against the wall so he can see the whole restaurant. So my brother and I, we beeline for that seat at every possible chance. And then, you know, it, it turns into my mom rolling her eyes, laughing because she knows what we're doing and being like, come on, you know, your dad wants to sit there. And then my dad will throw his arms up like, what? I don't really care. I'm not weird. When really he is weird and he really wants to sit there. What you've just done, by the way, is admit your guilt you you just admitted that you conspire to annoy me. Uh, but in this case, it's very simple. I have a seat that I prefer. I'd like to sit in that seat. Now, if somebody else in my party also preferred that seat, then I would be magnanimous. But if nobody else... See, you people don't give a crap where you sit. I do. So I should be the one to choose where Why I want to sit. Why is it, though? It's not like... See, I get it. Like, it's not like you're some, like, you know johnny tough guy if like someone breaks into the store you're going to be the one to save everyone like why do you need to like have your the right view of the door like is this a is this you being a man wanting to protect us i think that's part of it and and i am a johnny tough guy (laughs) as a matter of fact mom i was talking with dad about this we were talking about how and i think it's honestly a great a good trait you don't want some hothead guy greg has never been a guy that in my life that has like been like close to getting in fights he's always been a mild mannered not a not a very confrontational person so what do you say when he calls himself a johnny tough guy well no i think that that that's true unless the place won't give him all flat wings (laughs) (laughs) oh what a perfect segue into our next chapter of the dining experience ordering before we get to the specifics of his weirdness of uh like that of ordering all flat wings and refusing to go places if they refuse to give it to him what is it about when i think of ordering and greg cody i think of him having no clue what he likes at a restaurant yes he has to ask me what he likes right we walk we walk into a restaurant and it's just without even any hesitation the first thing out of his mouth is honey what do i like here it just drives me and my brother crazy because it's like you've been to landlubbers 78 times in your life how do you not know what you like at landlubbers look i know what i like but sometimes when, when I ask your mother, uh, you know, what do I like here? What I really mean is, 
What did I have last time we were here? Because I can't remember. I remember I came here last time and I really loved something I ordered, but I can't remember what it is. That kind of thing. Now, Mom, what would you say in the ballpark of ordering all flat wings and refusing to go to that restaurant if they refuse to do that for him? What are some other weird things he does with ordering specifics? Well, a lot of it might just have to do with um, how long it takes. He can get angry with that. Um, but he has the, bo- the, the boycotts, you know, like if yes. you don't, if somebody doesn't accommodate him. One time we went to a 2J's and he thought that they were t- waited, we had to wait too long and we could never go there again. We had a hard boycott is what yes. that's called. I was going to say, you have to, you know, yeah, differentiate. There's, the there's, the hoft, there's the hard and the soft boycott. Right. The hard boycott, we're never allowed to go there again. And the soft boycott, he will never suggest going there again. But if someone else suggests it, he will somehow find his way to attend. <laughs> right, that's a soft boycott. Um, but the fact of the matter is, when we dine out, uh, a lot of the idiosyncrasies are not mine, but someone else's. And here's a small example. Your, your mother always makes fun of me for taking a long time to prepare to eat before I actually start eating. And to me, that's so normal. And, and I'm just doing my thing. And she's the one you know, putting a stopwatch on how long it takes me to finally start ingesting. <laughs> well, that's a matter whether it's here or, I mean, he, he basically has to cut everything up. He has to, everything has to be organized. And then he has, what is he a four-year-old? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was at one time. <laughs> he just, and then sometimes you'll look up and everybody else is a quarter done and he has yet to pick up, uh, you know, the first bite. Well, I want the first bite to be perfect, and that's never more true than when I'm eating a hamburger, cheeseburger, whatever, in a restaurant, because everything has to be perfect for that first bite. <laughs> all right, so all right, so now we're here. We've sat down. We've ordered our food. Now let's go down the path of we've gotten subpar service. We all acknowledge it. Everyone's aware we have not gotten great service. Now I want you to describe how we all handle that, Mom, compared to how Greg Cody handles the the getting of subpar service. Well, there's a, there's a variety of things he does. Of course, t- mentioning how, you know, we haven't seen anybody in a month. That's what he always <laughs> says. We haven't seen our waitress in a month. Right. And then, then he'll also talk about how we immediately are not leaving a tip. And so then the good news about that is he never is the one that pays. I'm always the one that pays. So I always just go along with whatever he thinks we're going to do. Now he realizes that that's just, you know what? And we end up always still giving a tip of some sort. Greg, you're, you weren't like, I feel like we're actually now painting him in a way that is not actually true. You would literally leave zero tip. Like I get it leaving a lesser tip, but like no tip. Yeah, that's, that's just a, a threat by me when we haven't seen the waitress for a month, but um, <laughs> I would actually leave a tip. You know, I would, look, I'm not as cheap as I'm made out to be. Uh, if, I'm, if I'm getting poor service that really makes me angry it's so bad, I'll still leave 15%, but I'm not going to leave a 20, 25% tip for bad service. I'm just not. And, and another thing I do that I think is the epitome of politeness is instead of yelling at the waitress to let her know that I think she's really inefficient at what isn't that tough a job to do. <laughs> what I will do is I will say something to the effect, man, you must be slammed today. Are you guys understaffed or what? I'll say something like that to sort of put it on her manager. Yeah, but it's tough to explain like what makes these moments so uncomfortable. Mom, I don't know if you can articulate it. You probably can better than I can because I can't really articulate it. It's just the look that you give these, these waiters and waitresses the vibe that you're giving off, the, the awkwardness, the, 
hostility without actually because <laughs> you're never obviously like threatening you don't like get all like loud but you, you just have this energy about you when you're upset that makes everyone uncomfortable the, the the waiter or waitress can clearly feel your tension and it's just so awkward for every single person sitting at the table and you don't realize it big head shaker he's a big head shaker <laughs> just looks down and shakes his head while talking to them like they have no idea how stupid they are right like you don't deserve for me to look at you at this point well, well it's all those it's all those waiter jobs your dad's had that's why he understands yeah and he dismisses it as not being a very tough job i admit it when a waiter is not busy and there's not a lot of tables, it's not incredibly difficult. But if you if it's rush hour and there's, you have five tables, it can be a lot of stuff at once, like a lot of plates spinning. Look, I, I respect a great waiter or waitress. If, if somebody is really good at their job, uh, I respect that and, and will tip them in kind. Uh, but I'm some, you know, work to do your job right and to make help make my dining experience a pleasant one. That's all. I, I, I expect somebody to, to do a good job. Regardless of how busy you are, make me your priority. <laughs> well, yeah, there's something to be said there. Well said. You see, see what I said here? That, like, like, that's all we have time for today. Like, we need to, we don't have time to do more today. That's going to be it for the first installment of Greg Cody's wife bashes Greg Cody. I enjoyed this a lot. Mom, we're going to bring you back because we still, like we said, we didn't get to any of the stuff that you sent me in the text. Like we spent 15 minutes talking about Greg at a restaurant. Thank you for joining us, Mom. Uh, well, thank you, I think, for asking me. Well, <laughs> that was fun. Uh, it'll end in my divorce, but uh, it's still, we had, we had fun with that. Um, in all seriousness. Why are you so weird? <laughs> I can't help it. Like, I feel like we could have just skipped that entire segment and we could just ask the question, why are you so weird? Well, that's one of life's eternal questions. It's unanswerable. And I'm not sure whether uh, uh, your mother and my wife just solved that mystery or, or just deepened it. But uh, Deepening it. Deepening it. At any rate, we survived. So thanks to the wife. Uh, thanks especially to David Sampson. And, uh, and mostly, thank you all, pod family. We appreciate you coming back to us uh, every week. Subscribe, rate, review, do all that jazz and more. And uh, keep coming back. We'll see you next week for episode 13. This has been the Greg Cody Show with Greg Cody. Thanks, everybody. Excuse me.